the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Did a couple shows with Rob and then skipped some. It's been a busy, busy time for sure between client issues and, boy, I tell you what, I've got child number three graduating from high school on Friday. It is the season, right? So I started doing radio. I remember with Rob Black back in 1999. It's easy to remember because my oldest, Nick, was just about to be born. Um, And now number three graduated from high school. So one more to go, one more to go. Let's talk about the market though. As everybody's kind of getting geared up for graduation season and wedding season, the uh, stock market's obviously the hot topic out there because, you know, this was supposed to be a recession year, right? Supposed to be a tough year. That's what the expectations were going into 2023. So we're a week into June here. It's June 7th as we record the show. The market's up, but Amazon. Alphabet, Microsoft, NVIDIA, Meta, and Tesla make up about 90% of the return so far. So I'm going to try to put this in perspective a little bit because I don't want people to end up with the FOMO situation, which, man, when you hear about AI and you see what it can do, you're like, wow, this is not only revolutionary, but a little bit scary. Lots going to happen in terms of increasing productivity as a result of AI. Um, But before we got... To get off into that topic, let's talk about really what the market is. And the first way that I like to explain this recently is to talk about the NASDAQ. So when you listen to the news, you hear the S&P 500, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the NASDAQ. That's the main indexes that you hear. Now, each of them are, are market cap weighted. In other words, there's more weighting into one stock versus other stocks. So for example, the NASDAQ, if we look at the top holdings, we all remember the NASDAQ, it got really popular during the tech era. Um, And when you look at the NASDAQ, it is still mostly tech and it's a market cap weighted. So there's more money. If you invest in the NASDAQ and you can do so through the ETF, exchange traded fund with the symbol QQQ, The weighting is 13.25% of your money goes into Microsoft, 12.16% goes into Apple, 6.83% goes into Amazon, 6.68% goes into NVIDIA, 4.17% goes into Meta Platforms, formerly Facebook. You got 8.9% between Google and Goog, you know, the alphabets. 
Um, that's still confusing to try to keep track of which one's which, right? Uh, 3.66% in Tesla and 2.31% into Broadcom, which is a funny one because you got a they, they didn't, didn't keep that ticker symbol when that merger happened. It's AVGO. Um, so a lot of participation in AI in there between Microsoft and NVIDIA and Broadcom, especially recently. So the NASDAQ, this market cap weighted tech heavy index is up 33% for the year. 33% for the year. Now check this out though. If you look at the return from back January 1st to 2022, uh, January 1st, 2022 to today, so if you look at the Nasdaq's return from 1122 to today, June 7th, 2023, well, before the market opens actually, the Nasdaq is still down 10%, guys, because last year the it was a tech rack, right? Technology stocks typically have a higher price to earnings ratio, but it's because they're growing revenue quickly. And so instead of using, you know, price to sales, price to book, PE ratios, they look at revenue growth. And then they use a discounted cash flow model where essentially the lower the rates, the higher the valuation, the higher the interest rates and, and rates went up a lot, the lower the valuation. So it was down 33% in 2022. Okay. Now, if you have, if you have a hundred thousand dollars and it goes down by 33%, you need 48% rate of return to break even. That's how math works. It's just like if you have $100,000, it drops by 50%. You now have $50,000. To get back to even, you need 100% rate of return. So the harder something falls, the, the longer it takes to break even. Right? So lesson number one is like when you see massive corrections like that, they're typically buying opportunities. The thing is, is that most investors were already overweight in large cap growth, even though value outperformed by quite a bit in 2022 in terms of the downside. So the reason why I put that in, you know, try to put this in perspective is because we are still really kind of in a, a, a slight slowdown situation, kind of teetering on the edge of a mild recession here, which is okay. I mean, that's healthy, right? I'd rather have a, a, kind of a slow, long, drawn out, um, you know, mild recession and then back to growth days versus some major correction. Okay, so if something goes down by 33%, you need a bit over 48% or so to break even, or actually put over 49%, or right around 49%. You do the math. So let's review what the S&P 500 is, right? Because when you look at the S&P 500, it's up 11.92% for the year. We're less than halfway through the year. That's a great return. Right. You look back over 50, 60 years, you're typically averaging around 11% of the SP 500. It's positive around 74% of the time when I look at the last 50 years. So good odds are right there around the average. But the SP 500 has become more and more like the NASDAQ over the years because what the SP 500 does is it takes the largest 500 companies in America, which, hey, I mean, we were a driver, you know, technology has been the driver in America. If we look at the S&P 500 prior to 2000, even 11, there was more energy in it, healthcare. It was just a much more diversified index. But the largest 500 companies in America now are mostly tech. And it's a market cap weighted. So it's not like you have $500 and a dollar goes into each company. 
it's a market cap weighted. So the, the larger companies get more of your money when you invest in the S&P 500. Apple is 7.46% of the S&P 500. Microsoft, almost 7. Amazon, 3. NVIDIA, 2.69. Alphabet, 2.1. Uh, Goog, the other Alphabet, up one is uh, at 1.84%. You got Facebook at 1.69. You finally get down to Berkshire Hathaway at 1.65. And then the next one is still a tech stock, kind of, well, not really a tech stock, but... You know, I don't know. Cars, tech, same thing now a days. Tesla, 1.64%. So while the S&P 500 is up 11.92%, if you take away just some those companies that I talked about, you're going to end up being flat to negative for the year on the S&P 500. This is not a broad-based rally where all tides are rising. This was a tech recovery rally. And I put that in perspective because it's a good time to, if you're retired or you're going into retirement and you're still overweight and large cap growth, it's a good time to rebalance and take a look at your portfolio and say, what do I own? What's really done well here? Is the S&P 500 all going up? You know, Should I have fear of missing out disease? And I'm the worst when it comes to FOMO, but and not for investing. I'm completely the opposite. Um, it's more of like activities in life. But anyway... Any value-oriented index or ETF um, where you know you is really flat for the year. If you look at RSP, which is an ETF, an exchange-traded fund that is an equal-weighted S&P 500 exposure, where instead of market cap-weighted, they have all the S&P 500 stocks. So 500 of the largest companies in America. But if you have $500 invested in it, you have $1 in each of those stocks. It's up only 2.1%. That's a better indication of how the market has done. And how the market has done is basically expectations were really, really bad. And for um, the second, for the, for the first quarter of the year, really, um, as we went through the earnings seasons, results weren't as bad as what people expected. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass. Or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass, the will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Let's talk a little bit more about the markets. Um, you know, The point is, is that the tech stock rally is really is what caused the S&P 500 to be up for the year. It's because it fell so much last year. It's a recovery mode. And then you've got the AI artificial intelligence revolution on top of it. And if you haven't played around with it, um, you should, because you can, you'll be able to see how it will increase productivity in, uh, you know, it, it, essentially it, it, it may take some jobs away, but I, I really doubt it. It's just going to slow hiring in certain areas eventually. That's typically what happens on any kind of a revolution where it's the industrial revolution, you know, the internet in general made people better and faster at what they did. I remember when I first got into the business in the very early nineties, in order to pick mutual funds in the day when just, you know, dial up internet was just coming around and to wait for the morning star catalog of funds. And it was kind of, it was Looks like a mag, it looked like a magazine, but it was kind of that yellow newspaper style paper. And I'd have to thumb through it to look at stuff that I can now pull up on my fingertips very quickly 
and multiple different sites. So things change. Anyway, digress a little bit. Let's go back to the stock market because let's look at a couple of other parts of the market that you have to look at to say, how is everything doing? The Russell 2000 is a small and mid-cap index. Now, granted, there's quite a few companies that might not be profitable because of the biotech that's inside of it. But small and mid-cap was flat for the year until a few days ago. There was about a 6% rally in the last week or so, kind of like the tail end of what happened with with tech stocks. And now why why are smaller mid-cap stocks struggling a bit this year? Well, if you're a smaller company or a mid-sized company, you're still in that growth phase. You have much higher revenue growth typically, but you need to go buy equipment in order to continue to grow. You need to go borrow money to buy other businesses to continue to grow bigger and bigger. And so smaller companies tend to be much more interest rate sensitive because a lot of those loans tend to be floating rate loans. And so interest costs have increased quite a bit for uh, you know smaller companies in relative to their overall revenue. And so that's the idea that that's why when you go into a recession, typically you get smaller size companies, small and mid cap stocks, funds, ETFs falling quicker, and they tend to be the best bargains to buy. I tried to load up as much as I could portfolio-wise during the the COVID correction because things fell so much and way too far. And so I often look at small caps. It's one of my favorite areas, especially small cap value. And it's we're still in this weird 10-year, 10, 11-year period where large caps have outperformed small caps, and that typically doesn't happen in the long run. Now, at the same time, I've had to look at adding things like private equity and other alternative investments in portfolios because fewer and fewer companies are going public these days. So I did a show on you know alternative investments not too long ago. Just check out, just go to chadburton.com or find me on your podcast app and you can check that out. If you look at valuation metrics, it, it makes small cap stocks look attractive. However, they are more sensitive to interest rates and recessionary moves because they have to borrow money to grow typically. So, um, you know, that's an area where, okay, we, if you get, Hey, clearly we are going to recession, then you tend to lighten up on small cap growth, especially, but we had an earnings decline about 2% for the S and P 500 this last quarter, but the market is up because that was better than expected. And because remember we're expecting a recession, the end of 2022, 2023, there's supposed to be a recession. The most uh, advertised recession that has never happened yet. Market was better than expected on in terms of the earnings decline and at the tech stock rally, especially because of the AI news. The forward 12-month PE ratio for the S&P 500 is 18. That's below the five-year average of 18.6, but above the 10-year average of 17.3. So it's, you know, with the... Tech stock still being down from January 2022, like we just talked about earlier in the show. It is, um, it, it's you know, it's not like things are oh drastically overvalued or they're definitely not undervalued. Definitely not trading like we are in a recession, which you tend to get more of the 14 to 16 times earnings uh, PE ratios, price to earnings ratio, the price of the stock divided by the earnings per share. Other indexes that you want to look at, if you want to look at emerging markets, you can look at the ETF, the exchange-traded fund. The symbol is EEM. It's up about 5% for the year, including dividends. Now, international developed. This is an area that has been more of a broad rally. If you look at an index fund, for example, EFA, 
pretty broad rally up 10.95% and continuing to move more money overseas while China China's having growth problems. Um, still kind of on their, their COVID rebound issues and, and not hitting the growth that they need based on the population size. Um, you got to remember international developed was trading at recessionary levels for almost two years. So especially if you just take out a few tech stocks, international developed is, you know, really outperforming the U S in terms of a broader rally and, more and more strategists, money managers, and things like that are continuing to move money overseas. The U.S. is still dealing with, um, you know, certain issues, right? You've got you've got the Feds. You know, we still don't know is is the Federal Reserve going to pause on interest rate increases or not? There is some sticky inflation, but some confusing, uh, especially on the payroll side. You've got numbers that are kind of all over the place. Uh, Job openings increased in April, but quits, which are voluntary separations, declined. So that's mixed data. Um, You had some wage costs come down, but um, it's it's just kind of all over the board there. So the data is unclear. This is what Strategist says, which is a global macro strategist that we refer to a lot here at EP Wealth. Um, they said the, uh, their last report on Sunday was bottom line when the data is unclear, a narrative must develop to allow policy decisions. Fed members are looking at a skip versus a pause. The problem is a starting point of sticky inflation and data that's not clear enough to change this dominant narrative. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting one. I mean, usually you can kind of say, ah, it looks like the Fed's going to increase rates again or, uh, nope, they're not going to do it or they're going to pause or drop. But it's a little bit unclear at this point. U.S. labor to mar- market is where they are currently focusing in terms of their approach. Now, another area where it's done really, really well for oh, almost two years until this recent, you know, three to six months has been commodities. But they do still like commodities, and it's a good diversifier for a portfolio, even though it's down this year. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts, regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. Lots of questions on HSAs recently. Health savings accounts. And so for those of you that are still working, many companies that are offering health insurance plan to their employees, they're altering their their available plans to make people want to choose a high deductible plan with a health savings account, whether it's just bringing the overall premiums down or adding some contributions for you to an HSA account, health savings account. 
And pretty, I mean, these are really good options for individuals or families not spending a ton on health insurance. If you have a lot of medical issues, you're constantly going, uh, you know, kids and sports or you, you're doing things like motocross and stuff that, you know, you can have something major happen. It might not be the greatest idea, but essentially what you do is you choose a higher deductible plan where the first several thousand dollars you're on the hook to pay for it all, except for certain office visits. Um, and then once you pay that overall deductible for yourself or the family, then that's when the insurance kicks in. So it makes it so that people just don't go to the doctor too much, I guess you could say, for every little thing. So by choosing a high deductible plan and funding an HSA account, HSAs are like a super Roth IRA, guys. I mean, this this is a, a really, really good account. It's the only account where the money that you put in, you can actually get a deduction like an IRA or a 401k pre-tax no matter what the income limits are. You put the money in, you can get a deduction. It takes right off the top from your taxable income, which is pretty huge in California, Oregon, and other places have have that issue. Um, don't get me started, though, on the California tax reporting issue on HSAs. That's a whole other can of worms that I'm not going to get into. But contributions are pre-taxed. The growth in the account is not taxed. And the distributions out of the account, as long as they're used for qualifying medical expenses, are also not taxed. So it's like combining a pre-tax IRA with a tax deduction and a Roth IRA with with tax-free growth and distributions. And the balances, the the, the cash can be invested in stocks, mutual funds, ETFs or exchange-traded funds, bonds if you want to. And so you can get stock market growth over time. Savings limits on HSAs got a big inflation bump for 2024, for example. Um, the annual limit is going to be $4,150 if you're an individual. Or you can put in up to $83,000 or uh, $83,000, $8,300 rather, if you're a family. And if you're 55 or older, you know, 401ks to get that catch up is 50. But for HSAs, if you're 55 or older, you can put in an extra $1,000, all right? So lots of contributions availability here to get a deduction and have tax-free money. Now, the best way, I, I always encourage this. I talk to you know clients, even other CPAs that are dealing with this. The best way to use an HSA is to, to not use it. <laughs> so what I mean by that is put the money in the HSA account, the health savings account. Continue to fund it, max it out every year, but don't pull money back out to pay for healthcare costs. The way that this works best is for people that have the cash flow to fund the HSA account and continue to pay all medical costs out of pocket so they can let the account grow and grow and grow and grow. Because once you turn 65, that's you have to stop funding it the year you turn 65. Now, the idea here is that you're letting an account grow tax-free. And guess what? The average cost per person of healthcare costs in retirement is about $315,000. And that comes from your Medicare Part B premiums, your Part D prescription drug costs, dental costs, and all that kind of stuff. You now have an account that's going to fund all that. That's the plan here, is you have an account, a bucket of money, that you'll be able to withdraw from without paying taxes, 
without having it affect your social security taxes. Cause yes, social security can be taxed when you, when you're in retirement, if you live in the Bay area, just assume 85% of your social security is taxable income. And when you pull it out, it, it won't affect your Medicare part B premium. So in retirement, if you have a high amount of income, taxable income, um, over 190 married filing jointly, just cut that number in half if you're single. That's when you start to pay more for your Medicare Part B premiums than your neighbors. So having HSA accounts, Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, and living off of those assets can help keep your income low and help save you taxes and Medicare Part B premiums, which is known as IRMA. So very, very powerful tool. And a lot of times what happens is, okay, your kids get out of college. You're at your highest earning level of your career. And you're trying to say, where do I put this? extra? I got to catch up for retirement. And I'm going to have three kids in college for one year next year. That's expensive. So let's say they're all out of college. And then all of a sudden I want to shove as much money away as I can for my retirement. First thing I'm going to do if I'm in a high tax bracket is I'm going to max out my pre-tax 401k. The second thing I'm going to do is max out my HSA account because that's another tax deduction in addition to socking away a bunch of money that's going to grow tax-free forever and used for medical expenses. If I can still afford to save more money, I'm going to look at the mega backdoor Roth 401k options in my 401k plan at work. So if you're at Apple, Cisco, Microsoft, for example, everybody knows about the pre-tax 401k limits and contributions. On top of that, you get an employer match. But what you might not know about is the ability to put in after-tax dollars into the plan on top of that. And then you can go in and, and convert those contributions into the Roth 401k bucket and start building up 10, 20, 30,000 a year potentially in your Roth 401k on top of your pre-tax deferrals. It's a mega backdoor Roth 401k. That's the, that's the third step. The next one is you either fund a Roth IRA directly if you make too much money and you don't have any other IRA accounts. You know, you got your 401k, that's fine, but it's tough to do this if you have an IRA. You fund the backdoor Roth IRA. That's for high income earners where they are not allowed to do a Roth. You just fund a non-deductible contribution, turn around and convert it to a Roth an additional tax-free bucket of money. Once you fill in all those four items, the maxing the 401k pre-tax, max max the HSA, max the mega backdoor 401k, a backdoor Roth IRA, then you start continuing to save in just a normal brokerage account. So that's if you're single, it's a non-retirement account. You know, I, I do Schwab or Fidelity. Um, or joint with your spouse. If you have a living trust, which you should have if you're in California and you have assets, then you do a trust account at Fidelity or Schwab, for example. And you can buy ETFs, exchange-traded funds, tax-efficient index funds. So whether it's the S&P 500 or total stock market indexes, things like that, you start adding to that. So then you get to retirement and you have diversification. You have your cash that is in the bank that's already been taxed. You have most of the money in your 401k is pre-tax money that if you take it out, you're going to be fully taxed on it. But hopefully you then have 401k Roth, which is completely tax-free as you draw it out. You have tax-free HSA account to pay for medical costs. 
You've got the big 401 Roth 401ks. You take that out. That's again, tax-free. And then a Roth IRA that's tax-free. And so what you can do is you can blend your income sources between your pre-tax money in your 401k and your tax-free money in your Roth and the cash and the the brokerage account that you have, maybe because you were you had RSUs or ESPPs that you bought through your employer stock. And you can blend your different sources of income and keep your tax brackets extremely low in retirement if you do it the right way. Extremely low. So super important, especially for people that are trying to catch up. Now, what, let's say you've done a really good job funding retirement and you're 50 years old and you're, you're really on track for retirement. You've always been saving, you know, 12 to 15% of pay plus your employer match. You've been very dedicated to saving, but you get to that age and everything you have is in your 401k that's never been taxed. That's a point in time where, you know what, maybe I should give up some of my tax deduction now to put the money into a uh, Roth in my 401k. And it might not be the, the wisest tax thing to do right now, but as you get closer to retirement, you have to switch gears when it comes to tax planning. You have to go from, how do I save the most amount of taxes this year to how do I create a situation where I have a low tax bracket for 35 plus years throughout retirement from 65 to 100. And when people retire and all they own is a home and a 401k that's never been taxed, there's not a lot of fancy tax planning you can do. But when people have cash, stocks or or funds or ETFs in a normal non-retirement account, pre-tax 401k money, Roth money, HSA money, you can get well into the six-figure income and pay very little federal taxes. And so that I give some of those uh, examples at the event. We'll probably do a webinar here coming up because I'm going to retire the uh, tax strategies in retirement uh, event that I've been doing with Rob. The next one that that we have coming up, if you go to uh, chadburton.com and you scroll to the lower, uh, the end of the page, you'll see uh, under the event section that we're doing seven tests of retirement readiness. The next one is August 24th at the Toe House Hotel in Los Gatos. And essentially, I'm going to go over, okay, what you're close to retirement, you have a certain size portfolio. How do you know it's truly okay to retire? What are some of the things that you can test for? Because you can run a spreadsheet all you want at a certain rate of return with your expenses, but how do you test it to make sure you are really ready to go in and say, I quit? Let's talk a little bit about uh, getting good rates on large cash balances still. It's still an issue out there. Um, Now, why is it an issue? People are concerned about the large amount of commercial loans that are being refinanced in the next two years. Now, it's a little bit of hype because you know when you when you do a commercial property, if you buy an office building, for example, um, typically you've you've got a payment structure that's either like a fifteen or a twenty year amortization schedule or an interest only, but it's usually only for five to ten years, and then you got to refinance. And so it's it's almost like every year you've got one six of the commercial loans or so outstanding that have to be refinanced. 
The issue is that the ones that were done, say, five years ago are going to be refinanced at a much higher rate going forward. That's why you're starting to see buildings that are empty in you know San Francisco, um, not quite yet, but like places that politics and how the city was ran in terms of riots and homeless cities have been just destroyed. So you're, you're looking at, you know, San Francisco, Portland, Oregon, which are trying finally starting to clean up a bit. It went from very, very beautiful city to a dumpster fire, just still a wreck downtown. Um, Chicago places in New York where, where you get just this awful news on office buildings. Nobody's coming back to work, but then you go to Houston and Dallas and Austin, you can't find office space. Um, so it's a little bit rough when we're listening to the news where we are to kind of think about this, but the, um, the issue is that people are wondering what some of these smaller regional banks have exposure to in terms of these real estate deals where they've lent money. And so you can get higher rates on cash. I mean, we talk about all the time. If you go to like nerdwallet.com or Bankrate, you can see some of these online banks that are available all in one spot in the ratings. So you got Marcus, Barclays, Allies, Citizens, Capital One 360. Um, we use other services for clients where, you know, you can have one account and spread it among a bunch of different banks all in one spot and get over four and a half percent. But you think of these things like Marcus or, or Capital One 360 as extensions of your checking account. So you go online, you open up an FDIC insured online savings account. You want the totally liquid ones. You can earn, you know, typically around four and a half percent. And when you need money, you just transfer it back and forth from that account to your checking account. So think of it as an extension of your account. But if you have large balances of cash, number one, you do want to stay under the FDIC insured limits, which is 250000 per person. So a joint account's a half a million. If you start adding beneficiaries, so if you you know, have a large account at a bank or a credit union, you might want to do a transfer on death provision to different beneficiaries. So you can add another 250,000 per beneficiary of FDIC insurance. The problem with doing that is, is that if you have a living trust, you could kind of screw things up. So be careful with that. That's a, you know, other topic that we've done on a show, but look, you can walk into banks, smaller regional banks right now. They want to keep deposits so bad. So you could say, okay, I've got $250,000 with you or a hundred thousand dollars in this bank. Um, you know, I want to, you know, move it to Marcus or one of these other onlines. Do you have an interest rate that you can offer me? And so I've heard of people getting four to 5%. I've done it myself at two different banks because they want to keep deposits. So that is possible. Ask, walk into the branch, say, I'm considering moving my money because I'm concerned about FDIC insurance and they might offer you a high rate on liquid FDIC insured money markets. That's the thing. You have to make sure it's continued to be FDIC insured. Right. Now, again, for, for our clients at EP wealth, we have options where within one account, you can, you can have one account, but it's the money spread out among many banks and you can in some cases get up to 25 million of FDIC insurance in one spot and get a really good rate of return. Um, you know, CDs, I wouldn't really bother too much with CDs right now, um, unless they're really high special offering rate and they're under FDIC insured amounts because you can get so much good return on cash. Um, and typically CDs, you have to lock up for almost two years to get the same as what you can get on a T bill right now. 
Um, so for example, if you look at there's, there's bills and notes. And so you can buy, you can buy directly at treasurydirect.gov. Um, or you can go in your brokerage account through the fixed income department. So you could call Schwab or Fidelity or TD or whoever, talk to the fixed income department and ask them, say, I want to buy a, a T-bill or a note that matures in six months to a year or whatever. And so bills are shorter term, notes are longer term typically, but sometimes you can buy a, a note um, that matures shorter than, you know, the, you're, you're buying in the secondary market. So long story short, you can kind of build a ladder without opening a treasury direct account. Um, but it, I mean, just the two-year note right now from the U.S. government is yielding 4.46%. But a one-year uh, treasury rate, T-bill rate, is at around 5.17% the last time I looked. So when you set up these accounts at treasurydirect.gov, um, you, you determine what you want to buy in terms of the length of the, the bill. And... Let's, let's say you do a six-month one, for example. You have to choose whether or not at the end of that six months, it buys another one or it just goes back into your checking account and then you have to do it all over again manually. And I want to make sure that, again, if you have a living trust account, that you set these accounts up under your living trust so it's done properly. Too many people are going on and just doing it in their own names and that can screw up your estate plan and throw your estate into probate if you don't do things correctly. The other thing I will tell you is that uh, you're not going to get any good customer service from treasurydirect.gov. There's been a a huge inflow of use of people wanting to go in and buy T-bills and things like that. And, you know, they just aren't prepared for that. So uh, don't expect any good customer service there. So that's why I encourage you, okay, you can get close to the same rate by essentially going into your own bank and asking for a better rate. I just, it's, it still blows my mind. I continue to meet people that have a lot of money in their checking account earning next to nothing instead of earning over 4% on it. So make sure you get a good rate of return while rates are high right now. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. If you need a financial planning appointment, just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Have a great day, everybody. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.